Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. You can turn to John chapter 4, Gospel of John chapter 4. All right, let's pray pray one more time. Thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for how you treat us. Lord, we thank you that you pursue us. Lord, you seek us out. You sought us out, Lord. And I pray, Lord, today that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear what you want to show us, what you want to speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would... Um, pierce our hearts with your word, Lord. Your, your word is alive and active, and it divides between, it, it's so precise in where it, it meets us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that today, um, whether in encouragement or uh, rebuke or correction, whatever it may be, Lord, would you speak to our hearts, and we thank you for your word that you spoke. Lord, we thank you for those who wrote down your words, and we just pray, Lord, you bless our morning. And once again, we pray for VBS, Lord, that it be um, a plentiful harvest, Lord. Um, thank you for being on our side, Lord. Thank you for being for us and not against us. In your name we pray, amen. So how many of you are familiar with John 3.16? John 3.16, awesome. John chapter 3 you ever read the book of John, um, that's where the famous verse comes from, obviously. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Because God could have came into the world to condemn the world, but he didn't. He came to save. So um, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, is an excellent example of him coming to save rather than to condemn. And it's, it's kind of, I love, I love seeing this in the Gospels, all these, and throughout the Bible, really, all this comparison, this, this contrast between two types of people. This man in John chapter 3, he's a religious leader. He's a teacher of the law and of God's word, and he has everything together. He has his whole life together. And we find this woman in chapter 4, she has her, her life a mess. Okay, we're going to see that. And Jesus goes and seeks and saves those who are lost. Whether we think we're good enough or we know that we're not good enough, God came to save us. And so hopefully you've experienced that. If not, you can today. So let's read verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But... Verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Excuse me. Now Jacob's well was there. 
Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So, if you didn't catch it in the first few verses, Jesus um, tells his, his boys his, and possibly girls that it's time to move on. Why? Because the Pharisees are getting uptight about Jesus getting this following. So if you read the other Gospels, you'll see that they are very upset most of the time because Jesus is gathering more and more and more people. Right at one point in John chapter 6, there's about 5,000 men alone. And then it says in Mark that they came running up to Jesus to hear him, to be healed, not including women and children. That's the story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus with the two loaves, I mean, uh, two fish and five loaves. So Jesus is gathering all these people, and the Pharisees are jealous. So Jesus does not want to get into it with the Pharisees, so he leaves. And he departs from Judea again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So some background to Samaria. Most of us know this, some of us don't, that Samaritans, right, when Jesus was telling, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the um, religious leader, or I believe it was a scribe, says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. It's a Samaritan, the worst of the worst in their eyes. So the Samaritans were despised by faithful Jews. Why? Because when they were taken into captivity, some of them were left in Judah, or this, this region, and they intermarried with other um, nations. And the problem was not necessarily that they intermarried, it's that they turned to false gods, okay? So they created their own system of worshiping God and left the true way of worshiping God. So um, it, was, it was partly racial, why the Samaritans and the Jews despised each other, but it was also, and more importantly, it's because they were technically heretical, they went against proper teachings. So these people, um, the Jews of this time, had some, some great beef. It was, it's greater than Democrat and, and um, Republican, far greater than that, because it is, um, comes down to what the belief in God was. So it's far greater than that. So most Jews of the time would go around Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee. But Jesus knew it was a divine appointment, we might say. He went through, he went through Samaria. So, I love verse 6 because it is such an encouragement to, to me. I'm going to read again. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So, it was about noontime. And if you notice, it says there, Jesus was wearied. God himself, yet in human flesh, was weary. You might, like me, be tempted to say, God, I know you know all things, but you don't really know what this is like, what I've gone through. Maybe it's, uh, you don't really know what it's like to be stabbed in the back or betrayed. Oh, wait, he does. Literally, right? Or what about... You don't really know what it's like to be stressed, Jesus. You're God. Huh? If you read when he's praying in the garden, right? He seems a little bit stressed. What about this? You, you know, I can barely make 
man, ends me, or I'm really struggling right now, God. If you care a little, you pour down some money from heaven or something. Grow a money tree in my backyard. Jesus was actually very poor. Actually, him being wearied from his journey implies that he had no animal to ride on. So therefore, he would be poor. And as if you've read in, uh, I believe it's in Luke, he says, the women took care of Jesus. They provided food, right? Everywhere that they went, people provided for them un- until Jesus, you know, multiplies the bread and, and whatnot. That was cool. Uh, you don't really know what it's like to be rejected, God. <laughs> really? Lied about? You ever been lied about? Tempted to sin? He was tempted by Satan himself. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, you and all of us. Yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of of judgment, throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty needy all the time. We all are. We're needy. So Jesus is able to sympathize with you, your specific situations, your specific struggles. He is that great high priest. And it says, hold fast to this confession. <laughs> don't waver. Don't, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the temptation and believe the lies that, woe is me. No, go to the high priest instead. Go to that throne of grace and receive that mercy and that grace that you need to overcome. He knows what it's like to walk this earth. Incredible. It, it's such an encouragement. He was wearied. From his journey. Um, by going through the way of Samaria, and, um, it was technically shorter to get to Galilee. But th- like I said, the Jews usually add one to two days to their journey. I don't know if you're anything like me. I really don't. I, I like to get from A to B as, as fast as possible. No potty breaks, except I have kids. <sighs> it's like, I'm not going to make it. I need the high priest right now. Anyways, so he goes through, instead of going around like most of the Jews would at that time. So it's also important to notice what time it was, noontime. And then we can read verse 7. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, her and, and Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. So this is, I don't know. Um, I, I try not to put my own imagination into this, but... To me, in these ladies' responses, it's kind of saucy. It's kind of like abrupt, you know, short. And 
Anyways, I, I don't know if she had that attitude or not, but possibly. So he asked her for a drink. But this is, this is worth noting. She comes at new time. So either the women of the, the day would come in the morning or in the evening. Why? Because it's the coolest point of the day. And she was, it's implied, she's an outcast, not wanted, uh, wanted with, by other people. Um, and there's a reason why. We're going to read it. If you know the story, you know why. But um, there's a reason why. But Jesus asking her for water is quite, um, is quite a big deal because he's basically crossing cultural lines. It'd be like, um, I, don't, I don't know what it looked like, although I've seen videos and I've seen it in textbooks where there was restroom for colored people, restrooms for white people. There was drinking fountains for this race and that race and restaurants and so on and so forth. And it would be like one group going into another person's territory. That's, what, that's how, how intense this um, resistance and, and beef is going on. So he asked her for a drink. And she says, why are you talking to me, basically? What are you doing talking to me? She's basically surprised as well. What do, we don't have anything in common. You have no, Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So this, this is kind of typical of Jesus, right? Where he, <laughs> he, he just sets up the, the situation. He puts the tea down, puts the ball down. And then he gets ready to swing, and, and he does what he, he purposes to do. So he's setting this up. He's clearly thirsty, but he asks for water. She basically kind of denies him. And then he was like, by the way, if you would have asked me for water, it would have been better if you would have done that. So that to her, it's probably like, what, what do you mean? I, you just asked me for water, but you're telling me you'll give me water? How does that make any sense? Well, clearly Jesus wasn't speaking of physical water. As Jesus often is speaking in illustrations, if you read John chapter 6, he says, you want this bread, but I didn't come to give you physical bread. I came to give you spiritual bread. Spiritual bread? What does that look like? I don't know. I can't see it. But it's satisfying. I know that. So if you notice with me in verse 10, it says, if you knew the gift of God. If you understand grace or if you don't understand grace, but when you do understand grace, you start to see grace pretty much in all the pages of the Bible. Gift. Undeserved. Could, could not work for it. And I like this scripture. It's in Romans 4. This is a few of them. 3 to 8. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, right? Clearly, when you're working at work, it's not a gift that what they give you is your money. You earn that. But something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. 
Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. If only she knew who was right in front of her. She didn't see. She didn't recognize. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where then do you get this living or get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? Hmm. Obviously, he knows the answer to that. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me and the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I got to ask you this question. Well, if you can relate to this. Have you ever had a time in your life where you are incredibly parched, incredibly thirsty? Maybe it's after working, being outside, or I don't know, being on a boat, whatever, being in the desert. Yes? No? All right, you can feel that dryness in your throat, on your tongue, you barely. Um, what about hungry? Have you ever had a sense of deep hunger, like ache in your tummy because you're so hungry? Yes? No? Maybe so. So... That is a physical illustration of what happens to us in our inner being, right? Especially before the Lord is we have this ache, we have this longing, this desire, this craving, this drive. And typically what we try to drink is sin. Typically try to satisfy ourselves with all forms of sin. Um, <laughs> this woman, is we're still not there yet, but we'll be there soon. She had had five husbands, and the one whom she was now with was not her husband. So it could be a person, it could be a position, it could be a possession, it could be anything. Anything that we think will satisfy that deep longing inside of us. And we will, th- we will drink and we'll be thirsty again. We'll drink, we'll be thirsty again. We'll drink, we'll be thirsty again. Yes? You ever had that experience in your life? Whereas Jesus says, if you drink, the source will, will come up from inside of you. It's kind of crazy, right? A lot of the words that Jesus spoke is, we've, we've heard them, but imagine hearing that for the first time. Jesus asked her, can I have some water? She says, no, basically. And then Jesus says, I'll give you water. What are you talking about? I'll give you living water, running water. And she says, how are you going to throw, how are you going to get this water? You don't have a cup, you don't have a bowl, you don't have anything to draw out this water. And Jesus says, it's not a stagnant water that I'm going to give you. It's living, running, moving water. 
right? If you're ever in a survival situation, you always want to drink running water rather than stagnant water, right? So um, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. God calls himself that. And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What is he saying there? It's so easy for us to become thirsty. And, and <laughs> I'll get back to that. But I like how David Guzik puts this. He says, some might object. I drank of that water Jesus offers, and I feel thirsty and empty again. The answer is simple. Drink again. It isn't a one-time sip of Jesus that satisfies forever, but a continual connection with him. So even as Christians, we can, we can have that experience. Oh, I feel I can breathe. I have life. I'm, my tongue's not dry. My heart's not dry. It's full. It has joy. It has peace. I have life now. And then something happens and whoop, you're, you're, you're drinking from the cisterns again. Stagnant water. Why? Because our hearts are idle factories. I've heard it put that way before. It's very true. <laughs> We will, we will go off the path. Thankfully, we have a good shepherd. And he's after our hearts, ultimately. But I got to ask you this question. Have you been drinking from the river of life? I guess the first question should be, have you drank from the river of life? First of all, have you received eternal life? Have you received Jesus into your heart, you could say? And then second would be, if you have, are you still drinking from that source? Or is it, oh, I, I want to find my satisfaction in this other thing, this person, whatever it might be. Like I said, for uh, all of us people in the room, it's way different from other people. That my temptation is not your temptation, and this, vice versa. You know what the greatest defense against sin is? Satisfaction in God greatest defense because when he's not valuable when he's not important when he's not worthy of your worship your time your your affections you're weak you're incredibly weak you're hungry you're thirsty and so where are you drinking from that's a great question to ask yourself this morning myself where are you drinking from are you still co connected to that river of life? That flow, this is the thing, is you don't have to go to it. It comes to you. You don't have to go collect it. It's brought to you. It flows to you. Right? You don't have to work for it. It's given to you. It's what you will do. I was looking for a word in, in one of these two verses, but maybe it's a, uh, in a different translation I was reading. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. So, if you would have asked, yeah, give me. So that's as simple as it is. You just got to ask. You just got to ask. It's not, you have to crawl on your knees, say all these prayers. You don't have to whip yourself because you're a sinner. You don't have to do spins. You don't have to do jumping jacks. You ask. That's not very hard, huh? You just made it pretty easy, didn't he? You believe. And it's like this. Um, last time I was in Twin Falls, especially right now, we have all those, those parachuters, right, jumping off the bridge. And 
the last person I saw, or when we were driving by, this guy was scared out of his out of his mind. Like you could see in his face, he was just like, I don't know why I'm doing this. You know, one of those moments. Like probably his friends all hyped him up and whatnot, and then he got to the edge, and we were just passing by, and I see his face, and he's like shaking and everything. But um, there's a difference between right in John three sixteen. It says, "Whoever believes on." on me will have everlasting life. There's a difference between a knowing and knowing something factual and then trusting. So so that that young man who was going to jump off the bridge with the parachute, see if he were to say, yeah, I know, you know, intellectually, factually, this parachute does what it's supposed to do. It's going to open up and save me, right? I understand it. Right, this material is pretty strong. The cor- the cords are strong. It should be able to hold all that that pressure, the wind, and so on and so forth. That's one thing. He's intellectually uh, knows what it's supposed to do. And he knows what it is, a parachute. But it's a it's a completely different thing for him to step off the bridge and open up that parachute. That's what you call faith. That's what you call trusting. So that's the difference between I acknowledge, yeah, Jesus is God, and then trusting in God with your life. I'm about to jump off this bridge right now, Jesus, with this parachute, and you're you're gonna save me. I'm gonna I'm going my whole life, I'm gonna I'm gonna one day jump off that bridge into eternity. Do I just know about parachutes or do I have a parachute on? Right? So that's that's your choice to make, and then you're morally responsible for that. So, the woman said to him, sir, um, where was that? Verse, yeah, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She, she didn't get it, simply, as many people did not. Even today, people don't get it. I'll take that water, right? For us, we just go to the store, get one of these, the big ones, or you just go to your fridge, open it up, or on the outside, you just click, then you drink. No effort. But for them, it's major effort. And so this woman's like, I'm sick and tired of coming and drawing this water because it's about um, 100 feet deep, the well. So, bucket. Not only that, you'd have to carry that big old jug home on your head or your hip, however you might want to do it. So she says, I would like that water, please. Thank you. Please and thank you. And then Jesus says something weird. He says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. So Jesus (laughs) <laughs> Jesus just gets her right where he wants her, and he, he gets right to her conscience, right to her heart, right to the matter. It's her heart and her sin. <laughs> Go get your husband. I don't have one. Yeah, you're right. You've had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. Jesus clearly says, living together, sexual sin outside of the marriage is not accepted, not blessed. 
not approved by him, right? Jesus is God himself. So why does he ask for this? Well, God has to confront us before he can clean us, right? You got to confess your sins. You got to recognize the wrong that you have done in order for him to clean you, right? First John 1, 9 says that. You must, um, if you come to him and, and confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you got to recognize what you do wrong, and then he'll come and clean you. So he does this. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. So Jesus confronts her sin, and then she totally dodges what he's talking about. You ever had that in your life? God's speaking to you. Maybe it's through a pastor. Maybe it's something you heard on the radio. Maybe it's something you read. It's like smacking you right in the face. And what do you do? I got to go clean the dishes. I got to go vacuum. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. When God's confronting you and you say, I got to go somewhere else than being confronted by God. That's basically what she's doing. She's saying, oh, you're a prophet. Yeah, um, I have a question for you, prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and Jews say that in Jerusalem, that's where they should worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am. Isn't that, you see that? He tells her, you know, you've you got a big problem. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Then she goes, you're a prophet, I perceive you're a prophet, where should we worship? You know, it's kind of like, you know, predestination or free will or, or, you know, should the book of James be in the Bible? It's kind of, it's kind of her thing. Or I read out of the King James. She's basically just scaring the question or, or the confrontation. And then Jesus tells her, well, if you want to go that route, I'll tell you how you should worship. And then she, she's like, oh man, she figures she's getting corners right here. And she says, um, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. You see that? Don't find it too silly that she's doing this. Like I said, we do this too. Where you're confronted by God and I got something else to do. I got something else to think about conveniently. <laughs> this is a cool portion of scripture because Jesus says, you don't know which, the way in which you should worship, but I'll tell you. Salvation is of the, Jew, of the Jews. Jesus was Jewish in his nationality, and right the, the laws and the way that people worship came from our Old Testament. And um, these, these Samaritans did have the Old Testament. Well, they would only use the first five books, but they would twist them and add things. and Yeah. And then they were worshiping other gods, too. So Jesus says, The hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers worship the Father, in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking, he's looking for people to worship him this way. In spirit and in truth. 
God's spirit, God wants us to worship in spirit because for a number of reasons, the temple was about to be destroyed in 70 AD. No longer would they take animal sacrifices. And yet, and also, most importantly, Jesus was going to die on the cross, and he was that sacrificial lamb that um, was going to be killed. So that was going to no longer, you would no longer need a temple. And Jesus said, and Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. So um, when we worship and when they worship, it wasn't about what they wore. What they wore was important to them, right? The, the priest and all the workers in the um, place of worship in the temple all had specific clothing. They all had specific jobs. They had even specific utensils and all these, all these um, details to their worship. But God is, is, taking, is making that obsolete. He made it obsolete. And it's, worshiping in the spirit is not in the places where we worship. Or Mike says it's, it's that uh, suit Sunday, however you said that. Um, but the problem is, is you could have someone in a suit. You could have someone dressed really nice. But on the inside, oh boy. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It matters what we look like on the inside. God wants us to worship in spirit. Um, not in washing of our hands and saying all these prayers and all this formula. Although order is good and God gives us the way we should order our services, but that should not be our, our main focus. That should not that should not um, put a damper on the spirit. And um, to worship in spirit also means that you are concerned with spiritual realities. It's the internal that matters most. I like this. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says this. For you will, de- you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, The sacrifices of God, this is what a true sacrifice of God is. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's from Psalm 51. This is after David had cheated on his own wife, stole a man's wife, and murdered that woman's husband. Is that the right term? Husband. (laughs) And he says, you don't want me to come and Get this bull out and have them sacrifice it for me. You don't want me to come and bring my money. You don't want me to come and, and, and do this outward worship when inward I need to be clean. See, we could have our hands raised. And we could be thinking about pizza or the game on TV or your truck or, you know, hallelujah. And yet... Where's your heart? Rejected. Bump. God doesn't want that. He wants those, uh, those hands raised, but he wants that heart lifted to him. Right? Same thing with, with this. Reading blah, 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 blah. Great. Okay. What am I going to eat? Oh, I need my second cup of coffee. Was your heart in it? Good question. God doesn't want, God wants your heart, your affections. God wants you rather than what you can offer him. 
and the physical, right? Our, our, our spirit, our heart, that will flow out into the physical, but that's the root of it. And then he says, in truth, we worship according to what God has written out for us. We don't, we don't go one inch to the left. We don't go one inch to the right. We don't add. We don't subtract. We do what is told to us. Um, it also means that we come in honesty, not in pretending, not in, you know, this is a common one. You know, you've heard this saying before, you, you know, you're hallelujah, praise the Lord. Good to see you. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Amazing. Praise the Lord. God bless. Yay. Amen. Hallelujah. You're dancing up and down. Mon- Monday morning comes. <laughs> exact opposite. Just filth coming out of your mouth. Just involved in filth. That wouldn't be in truth, would it be? No. That'd be pretending. Right? And so, like, like David says, cleanse my heart. Cleanse me. Create a new heart in me. Because when he does that, then it's all natural. It just flows. Do we have our struggles? Yes. Do we fail? Yes. Do we lose our temper? Yes. Do we sin? Yes. But we go to God in honesty. I did this wrong. I said this wrong. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. And that's the beautiful thing about water. There's multi-uses for it, right? Drink it. You bathe in it. You wash your, your dishes. You wash your food. It purifies. This living water purifies naturally. You notice that Jesus didn't say, I, I need you to clean up your life, then I'll accept you. Jesus pursued this woman. He could have went out of the way, but he went directly to this woman. And it's a beautiful truth that God pursues us. In the book of Luke, it says that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. It also says that Jesus came to the sick, not the healthy. The healthy think they're healthy, but they're not healthy. The sick know they're sick and they need a doctor. Did you also notice how she kept on referring to our fathers, our father? This is my, this is our father, Jacob's well. Our fathers worship on this mountain. It's, uh, I, I know that's not exactly like the, the application I'm going to make right now, but um, you, have you heard this before? Maybe I've said it. God does not have any grandchildren, meaning you, everyone has to have a personal relationship with him. It's not, you can't, oh, my grandma, she was a faithful tither, and she went to this church, she went to this Baptist church. Okay, great. But what about you? <laughs> oh, my uncle, my, my grandpa was a preacher. Okay, great. <laughs> what about you? Where do you stand? She was, she was just giving everything off of her, all the attention off of her into something else. But where do you stand? Like I read, God is seeking people to worship him in this manner, in spirit and in truth. With our inner being, our inner being, well, what goes on inside of there will flow out to what we do out here. Right? Jesus says, I want you to be the hands and feet. Jesus says, I want you to be active. I want you to be moving. I want you to be serving. 
But if you have the wrong heart, repent. Turn back. Get refreshed. Get refueled. And then continue to do that. Don't think that he's going to, oh, yeah, that person's serving that. And then, yeah, they're committing all these horrendous sins. Right? All sins are horrendous, but you, do you understand what I'm saying? I could live however I want because I'm serving over here. No. Wrong. Read the Bible. It says the exact opposite. <laughs> so at this point, disciples came. Oh, I, I guess I skipped verse 25. It's pretty important. It's like the most important part about this section. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. And these people, you've probably heard me say this, probably heard Mike say that these people, they were desperate, right? Aren't you? I'm, I'm desperate. I, I'm not putting my hope in this, but I really want a different president, okay? I'm sorry if I, I don't know if I can say that. I think most of us agree with that. I really, really want a different president because they're just really doing a lot of things on purpose. But anyways, that woke everyone up, huh? <laughs> just say Joe Biden next time. Everyone wake up. Um, I don't know about you, but me, I'm like really wanting a different president. And for these people, far greater was their desire for a new ruler. That's what Messiah means, is the one who came to rescue them. And they, and they, they had only part of it right. So they were partially right where in, in a lot of the uh, Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, it speaks how the Messiah will rule and reign victoriously. He will conquer, he will destroy, but they, also, but they leave out the parts where He's going to be crucified. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed like a sheep. So these people are hoping, I can't wait till we have a new leader, someone to save us from all this oppression from other governments, from other nations. And so Jesus came. He didn't, came to, he didn't come to rescue them politically, but spiritually from Satan. Death, sin's power, fear, hell, keep going down the line. Those are fierce rulers. I don't know if you know that. They're great tyrants, even to this day. And he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. I, I am. I who speak am he. Or it could be translated, I am. And then it doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us necessarily what, what all happened, but I'm going to keep on reading. And at this point, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman had left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men. So it appears that she has drank from the living water. She has gone from death into life. She has been satisfied in the inner being. Jesus is the great example of compassion, of pursuit, of evangelism. He went to go and save this woman. And then we'll, we'll read that she goes and tells these, these men, and they all come running to Jesus to see if he is the Messiah, the one that, that they've been looking for. What happens? They get saved as well. Once again, I'll ask this question. Have you drank from the living water? 
have you received eternal life? Do you know Jesus personally? Do you trust him? Not do you know about him. Right? I can, I can list off a bunch of facts about Trump, but I don't know him. You could list off a bunch of facts about Jesus, but do you know him? It's a difference. Do you know him? And then, if you know him, great. Maybe you're in the spot today where you've been drinking from that swamp water. You know what I'm talking about. You know it's wrong. You know it tastes good, but then it turns sour. Right? We wouldn't sin if it wasn't pleasurable. Whatever form it may be. True? Yes? Right? A trap, right? You wouldn't trap a mouse or any other animal if they didn't want what was in the trap. Yeah? How, how quickly we can trade life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the presence of God for something that is, it's, it's deceitful. It's a trap. Remember that verse I read? God did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And so if you're in that place of drinking from a cistern, why don't you go back to the forgiving father? Hmm? Maybe you've been tricked. Maybe you think you can't. Maybe you think you're too dirty. Maybe you think you're too filled with shame. He won't take me back this time. I know I wasn't supposed to do that or go there or see that or whatever. As a father, I like it in Psalm 103, it says, as a father has pity on his child, so the father has, so God has pity on us. He knows we are dust. <laughs> I like that description of myself. I'm just dust bag. But yet, he wants us. He could have came and just smashed the world like a little bug. Just could have burned it. He's going to, but after he saves some, but he could have, I don't know, just thought it and just, everyone's dead. But yet he came down <laughs> to save us. So that way we could walk with him. We could enjoy him. We could fellowship with him. Maybe you need to be washed in the water. You know, I'll finish with this. In, in Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 5, Paul tells husbands to wash their wives in the water of the word. I believe it applies to everyone. We can all have God wash us with this word, transform our minds. We need some, we need, even after you say you're justified, you're not guilty, you still commit crimes. And you need God to come and, and use that magic eraser on your heart, on your mind. Over and over and over and over. And keep on scrubbing. Until you go home. Because we got the sin in us. But he loves us. Loves us to the point of death. Once again, you might say, 
find that hard to believe right now because of what I'm going through. Read Hebrews chapter, I believe that was five or four. Because you do have a great high priest who never gives up on you. I was encouraged by that this, this week. God will never give up on me or the, any of you who are his. He will bring you home safely. He'll bring you into the fold safely that's waiting for us in heaven. So if you want to, if you've never drank from the living water, today's a great day to do it. Why? Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And if we have that living water, let us enjoy it and share it with others. Right? Jesus is perfect example of, of going and finding people to give this living water to. And so should we. We should be looking for people to go and share this living water with. Maybe you made excuses recently. Oh, I can't. I'm out of time. Or I'm busy. Or if you have eyes to see opportunity, if you heart, have open heart, you'll find it. If you're not looking, you won't find it. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so sweet to us. Your grace is so sweet. Your presence is so sweet. You're not harsh. You're not angry, but you're loving. Yeah, you have, uh, you, you are just, and you are righteous, and you're holy, but yet you come and you cleanse us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't let this, if you've confronted us on something, we wouldn't just think about, I don't know, something that, that you're confronting us with. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would strengthen our faith. I pray, Lord, that we would enjoy you more. I pray, Lord, that we throw off, we throw away the things that are dragging us, that are pulling us away from you, and that we enjoy that sweet water, that refreshing water. I pray, Lord, that we be refreshed by your spirit, because your spirit is that living water. I pray, Lord, that we would look for others to share that living water with. Thank you for being so super gracious, super, super gracious to us. Would we live in that? Would we not just know that factually, but would we live in that truth that you are for us, you're not against us? Troubles may come, but they can't shake us because we are building our lives on you, Jesus. Thank you for being our anchor. Thank you for being our hope. I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out your spirit, Lord. We can get empty so fast, Lord. We need more of your spirit. Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Whatever you want to do, Lord, would you move us to be changed? Oftentimes we can become so stagnant ourselves. Would you <laughs> just stir up our hearts, Lord? Fan into flames the uh, desires and affections and passions for you, Lord. Not of this world, not of anything else. Thank you, Lord, for being so good. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. 
Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.